0: The reading is Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 to 40. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simbaul blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him.
1: Thank you, Liz. You may like to keep your Bibles open to that passage. Liz has just read to us. So some Greeks came to Philip and said to Philip, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. That text I've seen before now uh, in pulpits for preachers to take notice of. Sometimes on a little brass plaque, sometimes just a piece of card. It's a challenge. But that's why we're here this morning, that we might see Jesus. We might come to know something more of him we might trust him as saviour and follow him as Lord of our lives. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we bow before you and worship you. We ask for your help as we spend a little while in this passage before us. That we might see the Lord Jesus Christ. That we might know him as saviour and live for his glory day by day. Father, help by your Holy Spirit this poor preacher and each of us hearers to learn of you and to live for you. We would see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. In my filing cabinet... Back in, uh for catch me close, there is an old brown folder. Barbara has never seen it. She can if she wants, it's there to be discovered, but uh, I don't think she'll be very interested. It contains my old school reports. I looked at them recently. Let me give you some comments from some of my teachers. In grammar school days. His best is often insufficient. How about this one, slow and undistinguished work. They get worse. Many serious weaknesses. Written work, still untidy. It still is. But then the good comments. Well, good by comparison. Fair. Quite good. Still works well. Wow. Well, that's me. So that's uh, removed any illusions you might have about me. What about you? What's in your brown envelope? All of us are at best... Unprofitable servants, so the Bible teaches. We're full of imperfections, of failure, of messing things up. By contrast, to you and to me, our Lord Jesus Christ is perfect in every way. He is the perfect son. Over the Christmas period, we've discovered a bit about the promised son. Various Old Testament prophecies have been referred to, pointing us to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. On Christmas Day, we rejoice at the present son. Jesus came into this world. To you is born this day in the city of David, a saviour who is Christ the Lord. And we rejoice at that. Now the passage before us highlights something of the perfect son, our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at the passage, it has four natural parts to it. And we'll look at them and focus each time, not on the people like Mary and Joseph or Simeon or Anna, that we'll refer to them, but rather on what they tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect son. Our attention is drawn to him. We would see Jesus. He's referred to in verse 27 as the child Jesus. Verse 33, the child's father and mother. Verse 34, this child. Verse 38, the child. Our attention is drawn to him. Somebody preached a sermon some years ago with the title, Christ Crowded Out. Not only was there no room for them at the inn, for many people, there's no room at all for the Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas should be all about Christ, should it not? But sadly, so much of Christmas today is not. I picked up this comment about a little girl trying to repeat the Lord's Prayer. And she prayed, not forgive us our trespasses, But forgive us our Christmases. There's a point there, isn't there? How much of Christ has been in our Christmas this year? Well, we want to concentrate on Him and think about Him. So first, verses 22 to 25, we see the Lord Jesus, the perfect Son. He's the perfect Son legally. The Lord Jesus was circumcised, verse 21 told us that, and named Jesus when eight days old. Joseph and Mary followed exactly what the Old Testament law required. In fact, if you look at the passage, five times the law of the Lord is referred to. Verses 22, 23, 24, 27, and 39. They made the short journey about six miles from Bethlehem, to Jerusalem, taking the baby Jesus into the temple, fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi 3 verse 1. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And there were two legal reasons, if you like, why they were there. First, it was the time for purification. You need to go back to uh, Leviticus 12 and the first six verses to discover that a woman giving birth to a son was ceremonially unclean for seven days and then after circumcision of the child, she was still not allowed to go out to worship for a further thirty three days. And then a sacrifice had to be given. If you were rich, it was a lamb. If you were poor, then two doves or two young pigeons. An indication of how poor Joseph and Mary were. And a reminder to us of that verse in 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become Rich. Frank Houghton captures it well in the hymn we'll be closing with later when he writes, Thou who was rich beyond all splendour, all for love's sake became as poor. Thrones for a manger did surrender, sapphire paved courts for a stable floor. The poverty of Mary and Joseph the home into which Jesus was born so there was time for purification that's what the law required and also time for presentation because every firstborn son had to be presented to the Lord for such belonged to the Lord because they'd been spared during the Passover in Egypt go back to Exodus 13 verse 2 And those firstborn sons had to be redeemed by paying five silver shekels. Numbers 18 verse 15 would tell you that. This was a pledge here of Jesus' future perfect obedience to the whole law. Galatians 4.4 tells us that when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Another hymn, an older one, Catherine Pennyfather's hymn has the lines, Thou hast fulfilled the law, and we are justified. Ours is the blessing, thine the curse. We live, for thou hast died. So they present the Lord Jesus there in the temple. And just as an aside, I picked up this comment, some of you know that one of my favourite commentators is uh, Matthew Henry, a long time ago, 1662 to 1714, but on the presentation he says, and he's addressing, Parents, let us present our children to the Lord, who gave them to us, beseeching him to redeem them from sin and death and to make them holy to himself. The challenge there is, my dear friends, if we're parents or grandparents for that matter, or whoever, do we beseech the Lord to redeem our children, to save them from sin and death, and to make them holy, children of God. That should grip and concern us. That's Matthew Henry all those years ago, relevant to us today. You see, all of us, according to Isaiah 64, verse 6, have become like one who is unclean. We are guilty. We've broken God's law. We've sinned against Him. And we can't make any excuse. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I got the I newspaper on Boxing Day... And on one page there's this article which speaks about the fact that some people find it more peaceful to be at work than at home. How sad. The article goes on to talk about those who have to spend their time sorting out family rows. A reminder of how sinful and wayward we are, all of us. But the Lord Jesus fulfilled the law. He lived the perfect life required by the law and was the perfect sacrifice whereby God made reconciliation with us. Christ became the propitiation or atoning sacrifice for our sin. And when the Father sees us, he sees Christ's righteousness, not our filthy rags are you trusting Christ who came to fulfill the laws demands and to die on the cross for your sin and mine that's what matters what must I do to be saved believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved that's what scripture declares So we see the Lord Jesus, the perfect son, legally. Secondly, if we come to verses 25 to 35, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect son, prophetically. If you look at these verses, these verses draw attention to a righteous and devout man called Simeon, who came into the temple at that very moment that Joseph and Mary were there with the infant Jesus. Amazing. God's timing is perfect. And as we look at what we read about Simeon, we discover that Simeon believed Bible prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 25, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I think that's a terrific phrase uh, and a lovely declaration of expectation. The consolation of Israel, the comfort That God offers. It's a reference to. Old Testament prophecies. Concerning the promised Messiah. He would have known. Isaiah 9.6. To us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And Simeon. Was waiting. For those prophecies to be fulfilled, for God's promises to a fallen, spoilt, sinful world to be kept. But more than that, Simeon recognized Bible prophecy about the Lord Jesus. God had promised Simeon that he wouldn't die until he'd seen the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Christ. And when he comes into the temple, he sees Mary and Joseph with the babe. He knows, because the Spirit of God reveals it to him, that this is the promised Messiah. This is the Savior. And so he can say, Lord, dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And he goes on to speak of... Some of those prophecies about a light to the Gentiles and so on. Quoting from Isaiah 42.6 and Isaiah 49.6 and Isaiah 52.10. He sees them fulfilled as he sees the babe. And he rejoices and praises God. He's ready to die. There's only one way to be ready to die. And that's to see Christ. That's to trust Christ as Saviour. He it is who's dealt with our sin that spoils us and shuts us out of heaven. He it is who died and rose again and forgives and transforms those who trust him. He it is who leads us through our earthly pilgrimage and will lead us into heaven. Jesus lives, henceforth is death, but the gate of life immortal, says another old hymn. And Simeon recognized the Lord Jesus. But that's not all, is it? Simeon also proclaimed Bible prophecy about the Lord Jesus. He speaks prophetically when he says to, to uh, Joseph and Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and a sign spoken against. He was speaking about what was going to happen through this child. Would have such an effect on so many people, causing some to stumble and fall. That's why Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. It trips you up. Ah, but to those who trust him, it's salvation and glory. You see, prophecy, the scriptures, are all about Christ. There was a book written, written in 1907, long time ago, by a guy called A.M. Hodgkin, called Christ in All the Scriptures. I've got a copy of it indoors. I've got the 8th edition, and uh, that was produced in 1936. And Hodgkin makes this comment. All the lines of history and type, of psalm and prophecy, Converge towards one center, Jesus Christ, and to one supreme event, His death on the cross for our salvation. I've often said that I'd like to have been along with those two on the road to Emmaus, who walked with the Lord Jesus Christ, who were not really aware of who He was at the start, certainly, and uh, who were puzzled that he knew nothing about the events that had taken place there in Jerusalem until Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, explained to them what was said of him in all the scriptures concerning himself. He fulfills Bible prophecy. It centers on him. The challenge is, how well do you know your Bible? How often you spend time reading the scripture? I was challenged. I thought, how much time do I give to reading the I newspaper in a day? How much time do I give to reading my Bible in a day? And what matters most? Well, we'd all say, I guess, the Bible. But do we show it by the way we use it? God's precious, timeless, eternal word should be our great desire above whatever else we may or may not want to read. One of the hymns puts it, Teach me to love your sacred word and view my saviour there. Well, do you love the word of God? Do you read the word of God? Do you benefit from the word of God? You may have heard the story of of the... uh, boy who said uh, to his mum when helping her spring clean mum what's that uh, big book on the shelf up there and uh, mum says "Oh, oh don't touch that that's God's book and the boy in his naivety said well we better give it back to him we never use it is your bible like that or is it something that you read and feed on and devour not out of any legalistic sense because it's expected of you or the pastor might ask you if you've been reading your Bible, but because you love the Lord Jesus and you want to know more of him and you discover that as you read his precious word. If you want to grow in Christ, you must feed on his word and listen to his word. And think about those who as yet haven't got his word or any of his word in their own language we are so privileged yet sometimes so neglectful of our privileges but let's move on thirdly to verses 36 to 38 where we see the Lord Jesus the perfect son evangelistically and here we see this I was interested in my notes, I've got prophetess, in the reading it was prophet, but I guess that's a a change these days, but there's this lady, Anna, there'll be no prophet certainly for hundreds of years in Israel, then then, uh, she stands out as being named here, she was always at the temple, she lived a life of worship, of fasting and of prayer, she was always there, unnoticed maybe by many, but... uh, there she was, seeking God. And I thought, I've known a good few Annas in my time: elderly widows, elderly ladies, tucked away somewhere, not making much of an impression maybe on, on the world at large, but serving the Lord and seeking His face. And I thought of one in particular a lady called Jean. She was in Worthing, and we lived in Worthing in in our last pastorate there. And Jean was in a care home, a Christian home, a good home, but in a tiny room that wouldn't be allowed today by present regulation standards. And I used to visit her, get to know her, and she got to know me. And she picked up along the way that... uh, on Sunday morning it's my worst time there's a sense in which I'd I'd run anywhere rather than to the pulpit on a Sunday morning I I feel sick and and afraid I've not got it right I've not studied enough I'll think of new ideas I should have put into the sermon and all the rest and that dear lady before she went home to glory prayed for me every Sunday morning specifically no one else knew that that was between her and myself And it makes no difference now because she's in heaven. But a godly and a gracious woman. Thank God for people like that. So, here's Anna. And she points to the Lord Jesus as the perfect son evangelistically. Coming up into the temple at that very moment, she sees Simeon with Joseph and Mary and the babe. And she recognizes who it is it's the Lord Jesus Christ and she's so thankful again it's a challenge have you recognized him do you know him are you trusting him as saviour but what does Anna do well when she discovers it's the Lord Jesus she declares to others that it's the Lord Jesus she spoke about the child to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem people Many of them knew the Bible prophecies and were expecting someone to come. He's come. He's here. She spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are looking forward to redemption. What about us? Do we speak of him? There are people in our families, people in our neighbors, people in our workplaces, people at our schools and our colleges who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and our privilege and our responsibility is to speak of him who is able to redeem, able to buy back those who put their trust in him. That's why he came. That's why he died. Think of Philip in Acts chapter 8 verse 35. Philip who goes into the desert and sees this chariot coming through and... Uh, is this Ethiopian and he's he's reading from Isaiah 53 and not understanding it uh, until Philip joins the chariots and we read in Acts 8.35 then Philip began with that very same passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus my dear friends this is the best news anybody can hear whatever whatever else you hear Whatever else is good news, nothing is better than this. The good news about Jesus. This is life-changing news. This is eternally affecting news. The good news about Jesus, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to die on the cross for someone like you and like me. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that we might go at last to heaven. Saved by his precious blood. That's amazing. That a sinner like me can know forgiveness and peace and eternal hope in Christ. That's glorious. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's tell others of him. Barbara and I have made it the practice over the past few years to put in with our Christmas cards and they go to all sorts of people. Lots of people are not Christians. We put in one of Roger Carswell's gospel tracts. He's done a super track this year uh, on Christmas jumpers. So I guess some of our friends when they open it will think, what's this about Christmas jumper? But he soon moves from the jumper The jumpers with a message on and the reason for the season is the Lord Jesus Christ. Little ways of getting the gospel out. That's all we should be doing. Like Anna, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we say of him? What do we tell about him? Wouldn't it be awful at the end if someone said to us, but you never told me. You knew, but you never told me. The Lord Jesus, the perfect son, Evangelistically, speak of Him, and fourthly, verses thirty-nine to forty, the Lord Jesus, the perfect Son, humanly. It's interesting that uh, uh, in Luke's Gospel, no mention is made of the visit of the wise men, but it, it would seem, and this is what most commentators feel, it would seem that after Mary and Joseph had taken the Lord Jesus to the temple for purification and presentation rites, there. They would have gone back to Bethlehem to stay, not in a stable, but in a house. We know that from Matthew chapter 2. And there the wise men from the east came to see them. And you know the events of Matthew chapter 2 and when the wise men present their gifts and return, Joseph and Mary are warned to flee. And they go into Egypt until Herod dies and then... They come back to Nazareth. And that's where again in our passage Luke takes up the story. And reminds us that they're back in Nazareth. And there's this lovely verse, isn't there? Verse 40. Back in Nazareth the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Here we have recorded, in a few words, something of the growth and development of the boy Jesus as he grows to manhood. One of our carols tries to capture it a bit. Once in Royal David's city, says, For he is our childhood's pattern. Day by day, like us, he grew. He was little, weak, and helpless. Tears and smiles, like us, he knew. And he feeleth for our sadness, and he sheriff in our gladness. John puts it in John 1 14 The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was really man as well as truly God. He was really man. He was human. Perfectly so. Why? Well Hebrews 2.17 says. He had to be made like us. Fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. He was perfect in every way. Hebrews 4.15 says, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's why Pilate could say, at the trial of the Lord Jesus in Luke 23 verse 4 I find no guilt in this man he's perfect in every way he grew up and developed naturally strong, wise and gracious the grace of God was upon him are you growing? are you growing spiritually? we tend to uh sometimes measure our height physically there are some houses where they've got some marks on the on the door um, as the child as it was growing, perhaps it was you as you were growing up so uh, marks were made to show how high you were there, there's a, another side to that of course which is a bit of a challenge when we moved to uh, Long Crendon we went to the doctors to have our check up to make sure we were sound in wind and limb and when Barbara went in and they uh did the usual weights and measures. They measured her height and she said, I've lost an inch. Because actually when you get older, I'm told it's after 35, watch out, that uh, you begin to, to shrink a bit. But that matters not compared with spiritual growth. 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ we don't know too much about the home at Nazareth but we do have this little verse about the development of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's a challenge, again it's a challenge to parents do you care about your children's growth and not just physically do you care about their total growth I remember being Um, I confess, slightly irritated back in 1997 when the uh, um, Prime Minister of the day underlined education, education, education. Education is important. But it's not everything. And if you can't make the grade, you can't make the grade. And I want to say it should be salvation, salvation, salvation. That's what matters or... To put it another way, salvation, sanctification and service for Christ. They are the things that count eternally. I'm not denying the importance of education or anything else, but I want to stress that what matters most, parents for your children, is their growth in grace and in godliness. Is the fact that they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour and that they grow in him. And children, young people here this morning, what matters most to you? I think it's sad sometimes when you hear of a, a Christian young person going to college or, uni, college or university, and then after a time, they lose interest in the things of God, and their faith seems to die. They might be clever, but they've forgotten all that they professed at once. In, that's a tragedy. Of course, there are others who go to college or university, join the Christian Union, and come to know Christ as Savior and grow in grace and the knowledge of him. Whether you're at college or at home or not, what matters, children and young people, is that you're like the Lord Jesus here in your growth, filled with wisdom that God gives, and knowing the grace of God on your life, As you trust and follow Christ. These things are essential. These things matter for your life and your eternal state. We're to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. There's a, a song we sing here sometimes, All for Jesus. And there's a line in it which has, All my ambitions, hopes and plans, I surrender them into your hands have you done that do you do that continually that's so important our Lord Jesus the perfect son humanly and he is the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me so one final slide and the last question What shall I do, Lord? We thought a little about the Lord Jesus from his precious word. We've seen him as God's perfect son, legally, prophetically, evangelistically, humanly. We've been reminded along the way of who he is and why he came and what he can do. He who died to save us and rose again to transform our lives. We have to respond to that, don't we? What shall I do, Lord? Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you for your word and for these verses that teach us something about your perfect Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to respond by trusting Christ as Saviour and growing in grace and in the knowledge of him and of sharing that good news with others along the way. We might bring honour and glory to your great name. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.